This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. And it's Friday. You know what that means, right? It's time that Krista gets to read your Clark Stinks posts. I'm looking forward to them. You know, I love this. I know. Yeah. And on a more serious note, I have a Clarkonomics segment coming up talking about 60-40. If you're not familiar with 60-40, it's one of the most basic rules of investing for a lot of people. And it hadn't worked out at all lately. And I want to talk about where that fits in your future. I know that when people get burned, once burned, twice shy, is that the expression? Well, I remember once bitten, twice shy from a poison song. Something like that. Okay. (laughs) So we're going to talk about that later, but without further ado, it is time for Clark Stinks. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. What you got, Krista? Carl in Arizona says, you said that Clark Stinks is one of your favorite parts of the show. He just said it again. In that that case, why not dedicate the entire Friday show to Clark Stinks? I'm sure there's a lot of people writing in for it. We could learn so much more from each other if you did. Please, please, please consider doing this in the future. Well, we are going to experiment with it. And as popular demand has... And we will do a double Clark Stinks episode next week. Next week, we'll do it. Next week, we'll do it. And because uh, there's plenty, uh, we've got a backlog of Clark Stinks. And so we'll devote one whole podcast to just straight Clark Stinks. Great. It would be a great way to start your weekend. <laughs> Right. No, I, I learned so much. Let's start the learning. I disagree with Clark on Kroger, or at least in my area. I compare prices from Kroger versus Walmart, and most of the time, Kroger is less. I do the coupons and clip deals, plus any of the sale items, but frequently, the pricing of products would be less than Walmart, which is always a surprise. Walmart has seemingly gone up with the pandemic concerns. I do a lot of comparing as I live on a fixed budget and need every bit of discounting that I can reasonably use. We have Sam's Club with bulk products, way too much for me to use. Publix is out of sight in its product pricing, although very nice employees. Aldi is new here and I have not ventured there, but it's also a little distance to drive. And that's from Libby. Libby, thank you. All right. So Kroger, as I explained when I talked about Kroger, is what's known as a high-low retailer. And if you get embedded in the Kroger system, and Kroger, again, uses different brand names all across America, you get embedded in their system, you've got their membership, you know, you got the Kroger Plus, you got heavy involvement in Kroger, and you follow their deals, you get their ones specifically geared towards you, and you're disciplined about it, You'll do fine with your grocery dollar at Kroger. 
but you have to be that kind of driven for a bargain person because the whole idea of a high-low retailer is to get you in with the advertised specials and then you fill out your basket or if you live in a part of the country where it's called a buggy, someone in public's country would call it a buggy, and you're filling that basket with things that are not promotionally priced, uh, that's what a high-low retailer is about. Walmart generally is considered to be roughly 20% cheaper for an overall grocery basket than a traditional supermarket like Kroger. But if you're really using the Kroger Affinity programs to your max advantage, you're going to be able to remove much or all of that price advantage that Walmart has. As for checking out Aldi, Aldi is not for everybody. It's for me because it's roughly 40% cheaper than traditional grocery shopping, but you're getting their brands, you're buying in their system, and it is very, very different. In response to a question about a poster moving his and his spouse's accounts to a local credit union, you mentioned a quarter million dollars, which is correct if it's an individual account with no beneficiaries. On the other hand, if it's a joint account, it is insured up to half a million dollars. One should always use ncua.gov website to verify the credit union is actually NCUA insured. Another nice tool is the share insurance estimator on mycreditunion.gov website. It will allow you to plug in the dollar amount, account configurations, look up credit union status, and see what the account is insured up to. And that's from Ash K. Okay, Ash K, why am I so obsessed with throwing out the quarter million, quarter million, quarter million? Because I know for a lot of people, this would be an incredibly great problem to have. But back during the banking scandals that led to all those banking failures back in seven, eight, most of the failures were done by nine, we had a lot of people who we put on TV and we heard from on my then radio show who lost a lot of money that they had in an institution beyond the quarter million and they thought they were protected, but they weren't. And that's why I always start with the default insured to a quarter million. Yes, there are procedures and uh, titling of accounts that can raise that quarter million up. You can even get it to where you have a lot more multiples of quarter million. But I like to get in people's heads who have a lot of cash that just remember quarter million, quarter million, quarter million. And then if you want to play past that, that you make sure you have independently verified that your money's still covered. Someone complained about you and Krista talking over each other, and they were unable to hear what one of you said. Then while you were repeating the info for that person, you both started talking (laughs) over each other again. It's a very bad habit you both have. Can you please stop? And I also um, have gotten some complaints about this noise it makes when you hit your microphones. We were headset mics, and you use your arms. And I'm always talking. See, My IQ goes up, uh, I don't know how many dozen points when I talk with my hands. If I put my hands behind my back, I can't even think anymore. (laughs) I just, I have to have my hands. So uh, my hands will run into the mic and I apologize for that pop you'll hear from time to time from that. And Krista and I are going to try to be mindful to not speak while the other's speaking. And I apologize to all of you for that. You done? (laughs) 
Clark stinks it up in that he has not provided his listeners advice on what we should do with concrete recommendations for our representative in Congress to be able to ensure the solvency of Social Security. Clark's listeners are passionate, and if Clark gave us advice on what to say to members of Congress to fix Social Security, he would be providing a valuable service, Joe. Joe, thank you. All right, so... There are really only, if you go back to the great Social Security reforms of more than a generation ago, that was, thank goodness, completely bipartisan, or I guess you'd call it nonpartisan, they had to take a pound of flesh from everybody. So when you have an aging population like we have, and you have fewer and fewer active workers supporting a larger and larger pool of retirees, it means push has come to shove in order to be able to pay for and fund Social Security and Medicare. And Medicare actually has more of a financial problem than Social Security. So what do you do? You do a combination of things. No one thing will get it done because it would cause not a shared burden. One as life expectancies go back into increasing mode, because we've had a big decrease because of COVID and life expectancies in the United States. But as we move to a more normal glide path, you have to raise the age for full Social Security, which was done before. That's why people don't get full Social Security till age 67 now, used to be 65, and it stepped up over the years you have to increase the tax rate for Social Security. Sorry. You have to raise the amount of income subject to Social Security tax. And you have to do a combination of all three of these things and phase them in over time so that the pain is not too severe all at once and not too dramatic all at once. And I want to point out, the sooner we do this, the less pain there is. The more we delay, the more expensive it is to fix the actuarial problems of Social Security. And if we do nothing, what happens is we play a third world card. And what's a third world card? And we're not supposed to use that term anymore. What would be a developing country card here? You would reduce the benefits people receive. Social Security is not going to go to zero But the amount of benefit, if we don't do something about this, that people will receive in the future will have to reduce by perhaps as much as 20%. That's why little changes now, if our politicians would grow up and be mature, could actually solve this problem going forward because we know the demographic train wreck is here. To chime in on why subscribe and save is great, I'm a small business owner and subscribe and save has replaced about one-tenth of a person in our office whose job it was to keep things well-stocked. With subscribe and save, I can now delegate tasks to her now because she has more time. Things that humans do best, like think and solve problems. Subscribe and save confirms my theory that it's often more efficient to automate something rather than delegate it. Human capital is expensive. So using it as efficiently as possible is my job as a business owner, Meredith. Meredith, I'm waving the white flag. Is that a tissue? I only have a uh, member's mark tissue from Sam's Club to wave. (laughs) I'm waving the equivalent of a a white flag because uh, we have heard from so many people that I was missing the bigger picture 
with subscribe and save from Amazon and that it has in so many ways helped people out, has been an efficient way to get goods and has gotten them a discount with each order. So I accept. Clark doesn't stink, but when I turned on the podcast today, I could swear he was stinking drunk. He seemed to be slurring and talking slowly. Well, wow. it turned out that my podcast was on half speed. It was hilarious. So I switched it back to full speed and bingo, I got a full speed sober Clark back. Try it. It's hilarious. Greg. You want to share with Greg how much I drink? Zero. <laughs> well, Coke zero. You drink a lot of. Dear- Coke zero right here. This is a problem. I don't know what to do about this. You know, Coke and Pepsi are a duopoly, shared monopoly. And they have been pushing up the price of these so much that I'm actually substituting water a lot when I would have had a Pepsi Zero or a Coke Zero. I really like water and it's better for me. So maybe Coke and Pepsi pushing the price up so much is a benefit to me. I definitely think it is. You think it is? Dear Clark, I'm not going to say that you stink, but I think you should know something about Costco. I joined online because of how much you love it. I went to the store, which is 50 miles away. I was disappointed at the gargantuan sizes of the products. I shopped for a few items, went home, and decided membership was a mistake. I tried to cancel my two-day-old membership online, but you can't. I called three times, and after an hour, got through to someone. She told me I have to drive to the store to cancel the membership. No online options. Please let listeners know that Costco makes it easy to join online, but it's impossible to get rid of the membership the same way. Maybe also emphasize the gigantic sizes of products in the store. Amy. Amy, I am so sorry. I guess I've been a warehouse club shopper since the early 80s, and I'm so used to how the stores operate that I don't even realize that a lifetime supply of something is big. I mean, I just... I I don't. As for the membership, if you do have an opportunity to be anywhere near any Costco anytime during this year, they refund the entire membership cost to you, not a prorated amount. So anytime in the year that you're able to go to one, they'll give you all of it back. That is their guarantee is that if you're not happy, they give you back everything you paid. And I'm so sorry that for you, my enthusiasm about the warehouse clubs made it seem like something that it was like Nirvana going to one. It is for me, but obviously it didn't ring true with you. And I'm sorry I wasted your time and mileage, particularly at a time that gas is so expensive. Coming up next, we have one of our segments of Clarkonomics, where I talk about something that has been jarring your wallet and where we're headed, how you should feel about it, and my best guess, how you should handle your money moving forward. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Roaring Twenties. Almost 100 years ago, we had something happen that in this series of the 20s, the 2020s instead of the 1920s has happened again. And it's that a long-time article of faith didn't work this time. Normally, in retirement or approaching retirement, there's a mix called 60-40 with money that you are putting aside for long-term security that you put 60% of your money in stocks, 40% in bonds. Even people who go more careful with their money, I wouldn't say more conservative, who do 50-50, 50% in stocks, and by stocks it could be index funds, mutual funds, ETFs, actual individual stocks. And then the other half in bonds or bond funds, more often in bond funds. And normally... That portfolio provides upside benefit, but downside protection. Because normally, when stocks go down, the value of bonds goes up, and bonds just kind of hang in there in a tight trading range anyway. So they provide protection for your overall security, financial security. But now, And the last time was sometime in the 1920s. That didn't work. As stocks have come down, bonds have come down. And bonds, depending on how you measure them, they're like down 14% or something like that. Very, very rare, unusual. And now people, now they've been burned this way. They're like, I'm seeing all these articles in pseudo-financial sources and some like real financial publications saying the 60-40 is dead forever. Good headline, I guess. Okay, you got to look why this happened. And it goes all the way back to the banking scandals. When the banks started crashing and burning 2007, 8, 9, on like that, led to the Great Recession, there was a lot of manipulation of interest rates from central banks around the world. That's why savers got killed on savings rates. And I've explained this before in light detail. I'm just going to give an explanation that gives it context. And so savers, what you could earn on your money, collapsed. What you could earn on bonds, collapsed. And you could earn tiny little amounts on bonds. So then as the Federal Reserve reverses course as inflation has happened so heavily because of COVID, Putin, the spending, excessive spending by the Congress in 20 and 21. Now we've got a $31 trillion budget deficit. Federal Reserve pushing up interest rates. 
Well, bonds is a weird thing people get wrong on any financial literacy test. When interest rates rise, the value of a bond falls. The reason is nobody's going to buy that bond and earn your puny rate of interest you were earning on that low interest rate. So they buy it at a discount so they can get today's interest rates. And that's why right now, as the stock market is declining, because the Federal Reserve is trying to engineer a slowing economy by raising rates so rapidly, the interest rate on bonds is going up at the same time. And so the value of those bonds going down at the same time, the value of stocks has gone down. So the 60-40 was 100% bad. So should you believe all this stuff you're seeing about how bonds are trash, never buy them again, forget 60-40, and if you do anything and you put money in stocks, put the rest just in straight savings accounts, CDs, money market funds, whatever, with a fixed dollar price, you know, dollar share price, blah, 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 blah. Okay, wrong lesson from what happened. Yes, bonds took it on the chin. But moving forward, bonds are going to pay meaningful interest rates. And holding bonds makes sense again. Remember, this is a completely engineered problem that happened with bonds because of the banking scandals of 15 years ago. And it's just coming to roost now. Think about this. If it's only happened 100 years ago and now, then obviously bonds are normally a good holding and the oops that happened this time that ate people up is real money that ate out of people's wallets if they sell their holdings. But if you stay in there and now bonds are earning more money, then ultimately you'll be okay. The damage has already been done. You compound damage if you say, I'm washing my hands of this, I'm out, I'm not doing this anymore, and I'll never own a bond or bond fund again. It is the wrong lesson to take from what's going on right now. As for savers, yes, there's more and more opportunities for you to earn on your savings. I will continually update you on ways for you to earn decent money on your savings. Just remember this, the amount of money you should have in a savings account at a traditional bank, particularly one of the giant monster mega banks, Bank of America, Chase, Citibank, or Wells Fargo, the amount of money you should have in savings in any of those four, the amount of money you should have in a CD at any of those four is zero, not a single cent ever unless you hate your money and you hate your future. You never, ever, not ever put one penny in savings at a giant monster mega bank. End of story, because just look at what they're paying on savings versus anyone else. When do you think I'm going to be named person of the year by one of the giant monster mega banks? Um, never, yeah. for sure. Um, okay, Pete in Minnesota says, I participate with a nonprofit organization where we staff concession stands at local professional sports venues. 
The group gets a percentage of the sales from the caterer, and it is distributed to us volunteers. We can use the money for college expenses, college loans, youth athletics, or other 501c3s like a church. The checks used to distribute the money are only signed by one person, which concerns me. Sometimes organizations like this are fleeced by an insider, oftentimes someone who gets greedy or in financial trouble. It's a great organization. It's very well run, and I have no reason to doubt the current leadership. But it's not about personalities. It's about being ethical and erecting guardrails to prevent future fraud. How can I find out the best practices for a small nonprofit organization like this? Members can earn up to several thousands of dollars in a year, depending on how many events they work. So, Pete, first of all, it's wonderful that all of you volunteer this way. Uh, Second, it historically has been an issue with small nonprofits that you could end up with someone who doesn't have a good heart and uh, reaches to darkness and embezzles, steals money, whatever. Dual signatures with any nonprofit are one layer of protection. If both of them are in on it, that doesn't do you any good. But it is a good idea. In nonprofits, there tend to not be as many protections in terms of staffing, that would be there on guard to look for issues of embezzlement or fraud. So it is a matter of more than the two signatures, really keeping your eyes open to how the organization's running and who's running it. You cannot prevent circumstances of fraud in nonprofits. And most of the time, nothing like this ever happens. But when it does, it's so disappointing. It's so hurtful when somebody has been involved helping as a volunteer. So I would say the most important thing is to be a watchdog and watch what's going on. And yes, two signatures is a good idea. And if they're bigger, maybe audits like. Well, yeah, I mean, you got to be a pretty big organization before you get in to the whole audit thing, because that gets very expensive. And so often the audits are backward looking not current or forward-looking. Andrew in Washington says, I was recently laid off from my job at a private company and have vested stock options available to purchase. These expire in a few weeks. In total, it would cost me about $4,000, roughly 1,000 shares at about $4 per share. However, the company's current fair market value is about 50 cents less than what I would purchase the options for. If it matters, I would most likely move the money from an ETF or an index fund in Fidelity to purchase these options. So if I follow this right, he'd be underwater Mm -hmm. exercising the options. I would not, Andrew, in this case, exercise the options because if you're underwater already, if, if I have your description right, it would not be valuable. You let the options expire when they're underwater. Uh, unless you had some reason to believe that the company has a lot of upside that you would hold through an option period and then turn around and move the money to an ETF or index fund. But what he says doesn't really, I'm not sure I really follow because if he's going to turn around and convert it immediately into an ETF or something like that. We're saying he would take the money from an ETF he has or an index fund that he already has invested in Fidelity to purchase the shares. To buy them upside down. Gosh, you'd have to have a real sense that the future for the company is really bright 
to be willing to take that chance. I mean, you're now laid off taking $4,000 you may need to live on to exercise underwater options seems like a pretty high risk to me. Yvonne in Florida says, Clark, my husband and I cruise a lot, and we've come to the conclusion that the tips on the cruise line are a sham. We see these cruises where the tips are included, so how does that work? If we don't tip, are we penalizing the crew members who take care of us, or do they get tipped no matter what? Can you please clarify how tipping really works on cruise lines? And by the way, we always tip, but the customer service of the cruise lines lately has been disappointing, and we are just curious. Cruise lines have been under a lot of stress. The bonds of cruise lines, we were talking about bonds earlier, are in the toilet. Carnival, which is the world's largest cruise line that owns a lot of brands, is in great distress. The reporting financial numbers much worse than anticipated by the analysts. I mean, it is a tough, you think about of industries, try to think of an industry that was more affected by COVID than the cruise industry because it's completely an optional activity that ceased to exist for a good long period of time. They are on the ropes. There have been staffing issues, everything. So, Yvonne, with the tipping, my preference, some of the cruise lines, and it depends on the cruise line, the tipping is mandatory. Others, it is optional. They put it in there, but you can do a negative option and say, I don't want to have prepaid gratuities And then you tip people with your own cash. The only way you know that the people on the ship who have really mattered to you are really getting the money is when you hand them the cash. When we go on a cruise, it's the only time I carry a wad of cash, Krista, and I hand out those tips to the people on the ship so that I know That money is going to that individual and his or her family. And if a cruise line has mandatory tipping that you're going on and you have to pay that, then unfortunately you don't know what's really going to each of those employees. And that's why you supplement the people who've really mattered to you with your own cash, even in that case. And another cruise one from Joe in Florida. My brother and I have been listening to you for years, and we love what you do for everyone. We cruise a lot, and on the last cruise we took, they canceled one of our stops due to weather. Should we get a refund for the port charge since we never went there? If so, how do we go about doing that? And if not, how is that fair? If they charge us in advance for port fees, we should be able to get it back if we never went. So the cruise lines, if you are able, Joe, to get the cruise lines to refund uh, port charges for a stop that never occurred, you are a miracle worker. Cruise lines in their brochures, the uh, well, electronic brochures, you'll see the terms and conditions for changing ports of call. And, you know, when they talk about port charges, and they're usually fuzzy about port charges and other fees, you're not likely to be able to move them much on that. You may be able to get the cruise line to give you that amount of money as a credit towards a future sailing. But getting the cash, I would be stunned if you could do that. And it's been routine on cruises that we've been on over the years that ports are deleted, ports are changed, and it's just part of the deal. The funny thing with my family 
is I'm the only one who gets off the ship at most ports. I, I love wandering around, but my family loves staying on the ship when everybody's off the ship and they have, it's like their own private charter, massive ship that's theirs, semi-private because there are a few other people that stay on the ship. But that's what they enjoy much more than the ports of call. So I realize they robbed you of a port you'd been looking forward to, but you're going to find in their terms and conditions, they pretty much covered their rear ends on being able to do that and likely hold on to all your money. And I want to tell you, I appreciate so much you listening today. Gosh, you're going on a cruise. Download a bunch of our podcasts. And as you walk around, you can listen to our podcast. While any you've fallen behind on, you're able to catch up while you're at sea having a great time of leisure. If you found something helpful in today's podcast, I hope you'll leave a review. If you disagree with anything that I've said, you've heard from us, anything you don't like, please go to Clark.com slash Clark Stinks and let me know.